Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver, and uh, this is a bit different, isn't it? There was clapping at the 8:30 service. Come on, you guys are. There we go. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know why there was clapping, but there was clapping. Um, This is different because we moved all the chairs, and uh, if you happen to be new or visiting us for the very first time this morning, um, and you walked in and you thought, this is kind of an odd setup, we all thought that because this is the first time uh, we've ever set up this room that way, and I'll, um, I'll explain a little bit more about why we did that. Uh, later in the message, but part of the reason we changed all the chairs is because it's connected to one of our core values as a church, and it's also connected to something that all of us want or desire more of in our lives. In fact, we kicked off a whole new series starting last Sunday called Against the Grain, and uh, we said that there's wants and desires that we all have in our lives, things that we want to see change, things that we want to see different. Um, some of us are really good about turning those wants or desires into goals that we set, or maybe you're one of those people that turns them into New Year's resolutions every year. But even if you're somebody who doesn't set New Year's resolutions or doesn't set goals, um, you still have wants and desires or things you want to see change Um, in your life. But one of the things we said last week is some of our most significant wants and desires often go against the grain. And here's how we described it. We said the changes we often want to make go against powerful influences and deeply ingrained behaviors. For example, uh, if you want to be less busy in life, right? If you want to change things up and become a less busy person, that's probably going to be really hard. Because you already have habits that are making you really busy, or you already have responsibilities that have been placed on your shoulders that are making you busy, and everything in our culture and our society is pushing us to be really busy people. And so to make that change, or to live out that want or that desire, that's going to require going against the grain. And that's how it is with so many of the biggest desires or most significant wants we have in our life. And today we're going to talk about one of those, and that's the need or the desire for community. Uh, Community is something we all know we need, but very few of us really find. Uh, Community is something we, many of us want more of in our lives, but we just have a hard time ever getting it. Uh, Community is one of those things that most of us feel like we would desire more of, and yet we often settle for a poor substitute. And that would be digital connection, right? Because so many of us are deeply digitally connected to one another because we have this amazing technology now that allows us to know more about other people than we've ever known before and to communicate more with other people than we've ever communicated with before. And yet all of this knowledge and all of this communication hasn't led to more community, In fact, for a lot of us, we would say our experience is the more connected I am to other people through texting and emailing and Instagram and Snapchat or whatever it is, all the mediums we we use in our lives, the more connected I get, sometimes the more isolated I actually feel. It's almost like we have more acquaintances and people that we communicate with than we ever have had before, and yet we still don't experience true community. Because community is about these deep and meaningful relationships that we have with people that actually know us, and they understand us, and they know everything about us, and they still accept us and love us, even knowing everything 
about us. That's the kind of community we all long for. And that's the one thing that connecting with people digitally just doesn't really provide for us. There's something about being present, physically, in person, face to face with others that helps us see and understand that reality. And so one of the things we're all looking for is that kind of community or that kind of uh, relationships in our lives. And, and as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we realize is this is a whole nother level to community that we need. And that's being connected to people who are also on the same journey of faith that we are. It's being a part of a group of people that is walking in the same direction as we are and can help us on our journey of faith and that we can help them on their journey of faith. And in fact, uh, there's a picture of this kind of community. It's found in the Bible. Um, It's in the book of Acts. And I want to read it for you this morning. You might recognize some of these verses or maybe you've read some of these verses before, but this is from the very earliest seeds of when the first followers of Jesus began gathering into a community. And here's how it described that community. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, Notice a few things about this description of this early community. Um, It says they were devoted to a few things. They were devoted to teaching, meaning learning from one another. Uh, They were devoted to fellowship, which is kind of a churchy sounding word that I grew up with growing up in church, but it just means hanging out with other people, right? It says they were devoted to sharing meals, breaking bread together, and they were also devoted to praying together. I mean, not just praying individually in their own homes, but actually praying together. Now, it describes later on here what this actually looked like because it says they would gather together every day at the temple courts. So this is taking place in Jerusalem, and all of these early Christians are still Jewish uh, people, and so they're gathering there at the temple. um, And and this might have been a large group of people gathering in the temple courts. Maybe it was a more formal gathering. Maybe it was kind of akin to what we do on Sundays. It would have looked very different than what we do on Sundays because it was a very different culture than ours. But it was kind of like their regular large gathering of people. So they were doing that. But then it says they also gathered in each other's homes. And that's where they shared meals together. And their homes would not have been very big. So these were, these were small groups of people just gathering to hang out and share meals together. And maybe this was very informal. Maybe it was just organic and it was just happening Maybe there was a little bit of organization to it. Maybe somebody put together a schedule and said, hey, everybody in this zip code is going to go to this home on Tuesday nights, and the people in this zip code or neighborhood of Jerusalem are going to go to this home on Wednesday nights. We don't know, but apparently there was this rhythm of gathering in a larger group of people regularly and then in smaller, maybe more informal gatherings. That's the kind of community that they had and how they lived out some of these things. And then, just in case we miss how deep this community was, it says that they actually shared their lives together so much so that they were sharing possessions. They were taking their stuff, the things they had, the things they owned, and they were basically saying, well, this isn't really my stuff anymore. We'll just call it our stuff. That's how much of a community we are. We'll just call it our stuff and make sure that no one in our community ever goes without need. 
This is an amazing picture of community. Now, before we move on, there's just a couple of qualifiers we should probably make. Uh, Number one is, this is not a prescription for all of us. The book of Acts isn't suggesting that, that these are the instructions for how to create community, and so we all need to go find a temple where we can gather at, and we need to all start selling our property, and we need to do these things by the letter of the law. And they're like, no, 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 that's not how this works. This is just a description of what this early community looked like. It's not necessarily a prescription for us to follow. Another thing to note is, I'm guessing it was rarely this perfect, <laughs> Right? Because we all know community is hard. It's messy. It doesn't always work well. Relationships with other people can be difficult. In fact, there are plenty of other passages in the New Testament about churches and church communities and the challenges they faced. Paul would help some communities work through some of their difficulties. He wrote some letters to the church in Corinth, and you read some of those letters, and you read about all of the the conflicts in the community, and, and he basically says to them, guys, you're not even sharing with one another. Let me teach you how to share, and you don't even know how to eat meals together. Let me teach you how to do that. So community is rarely this perfect. It rarely looks fully this way. It's hard. And it's messy. And yet, it's almost as if this picture is being given to us at the very beginning of the book of Acts in order to say, don't let go of this ideal. Don't give up on this as an aspiration for what community might look like in glimpses. Don't stop working towards moving towards, straining towards, and sometimes fumbling towards this picture of community. And here's how we do that in our lives. We really do it in two ways or at two levels. The first level is at the individual level. It's all of us asking the simple question, do I have deep and meaningful relationships in my life? Do I have the kind of deep and meaningful relationships outside of my immediate family? Do I have a few people who really know me, who deeply know me, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they still love me, and they accept me, and they're there for me, and they're there to support me and help me when things are going difficult? Do I have those kind of relationships, at least a few of those in my life? And I'll be the first to admit, this is hard. I'm more of an introverted person, and so this is hard for me, and and in light of my personality and my wiring, I just, I tend to keep people at arm's length, and I have a ton of acquaintances. It's easy to sort of know people on a surface level, but to actually go deep with people, that's a challenge for me. And this is one of those areas that every year of my life, I sort of go through at the end of the years, I'm thinking about next year, and I'm thinking about those areas I need to work on. This is always one where I'm coming to the conclusion, man, I, I... I need to do some work in this area. I need to deepen some relationships and have better community in my life. And so this is not one of those areas where I would stand up today and say, hey, I kind of have some things figured out, so let me give you steps one, two, and three to how, to how to move towards this. This is an area I do not have figured out very well. It's hard for me. Now, maybe you're here and you're more extroverted and outgoing and you've got tons of friendships and you stay connected to people for long times. You know, maybe you're one of those people. And yet I'm guessing you would say 
it's still really tough to have those deep and meaningful relationships because there's still so many things working against us. We live in an extremely individualistic culture. We don't even realize it until maybe we go to a different culture where it's not that way. We live in an extremely fragmented culture right now. For almost two years, we've most of us been spending a whole lot more time at home than in the past. A whole lot more time socially distanced, wearing masks and staying away from other people than we ever have before. And then, of course, we're all digitally connected very well. And for many of us, we've gotten so accustomed to that that it's, it's kind of hard now to relate to people in person. We don't even know how to do that very well. And so moving towards real and authentic and meaningful relationships, it's going to be going against the grain. It's going to require time, intentionality, vulnerability. It's going to require being physically present with other people and at times saying, I'm not going to just text them or I'm not going to just connect to that. I'm actually going to make time and make space to embrace and move towards what are sometimes awkward or messy face-to-face relationships with people. But it's something we all need. I mean, if the social distancing and the pandemic and the staying at home has taught us anything, it's that we suffer in huge ways, when we don't have deep and meaningful and regular, consistent, in-person human relationships with other people. So we need community on this individual level, but there's another level at which we need community, and that's on a corporate or collective level. And in fact, what's interesting is when you read through the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, whenever it talks about community or relationships or fellowship, it rarely talks about individual friendships. It's not that individual friendships aren't important. They are. In fact, you can read about Paul's life and you can can see some of the individual friendships he had and how he leaned on them and how they leaned on him and how important it was for him. And and Jesus had friends, right? And so, so it's in there and yet it's fascinating. If you go back and read through the Bible, you see almost every time it talks about community or fellowship, or meaningful relationships, it's talking about something bigger than just individual friendships. It's talking about being a part of a group of people, a collective of people, a body of people, a body of people that that gather together regularly, sometimes in large group and more formal settings, and sometimes in smaller group, more informal settings. A group of people that shares meals together, that actually prays together, that that loves one another and serves one another and and is there for one another, to help one another, is there to, to meet one another's needs. A group of people who are so involved in each other's lives that sometimes they hurt one another. And they have to figure out how to forgive and be reconciled to one another. A group of people who are all on a mission and driven by a purpose together to be this vibrant and living community of faith. That's the community of faith that we all need in our lives. And that's what this whole chair-moving experiment is about. 
Uh, over the last six months or so, I've been thinking about how it is that we gather here, and not just me, I've been thinking with other people about how it is that we gather here on Sunday mornings. This is when we regularly gather as a community of faith. There's lots of other things that we do as a church. There's, there's small groups that we have, and there's retreats, and there's organic relationships and informal things. So, so our church or our community is so much bigger than what happens on Sundays, and yet What happens on Sundays is a bit like the hub of a bicycle wheel. It's where everything else connects and it's what holds everything else together. It's almost like the wheel doesn't roll or maintain its shape without this hub at the center. Or uh, another metaphor that might be helpful is um, our Sunday gatherings are a bit like the family dinner time. If you grew up in a larger family and your family prioritized eating dinner together each night, you know how important that was. There were other things your family did. There were other things happening in your lives. There was all kinds of fun things. You took vacations. You did other kinds of things. And yet that gathering at the table where everyone put everything else aside and just showed up and they were there and you had good conversations as a family every night. And sometimes you welcomed friends in and you showed hospitality, but you gathered, you know that that was one of the most formative, regular habits or practices you had as a family. When we gather on Sunday mornings, it's a little bit like the family dinner time. And so I got to thinking, when we show up on Sundays, what is it that we do here The way we used to have the the sanctuary arranged, uh, you would walk through those doors and you would find your um, seat in one of the seats and all of our seats were facing the stage or the screen up front. And you didn't see many other people except when you maybe greeted them when you walked in and that was great or when you left. But when you sat down for the whole time you were here, you were mostly just looking at the backs of other people's heads and you were focused on what was happening up front. I mean, of course, we encourage people to participate by saying some things and by, of course, singing whenever we worshiped. And yet, for the most part, it felt a whole lot more like watching a concert or going to a movie and watching the screen or watching a play happen at an auditorium or, or listening to a lecture at a lecture hall. And, and all of those things are fine and good. I love going to movies, right? I love watching plays in an auditorium. I like to to listen to a concert and go to a concert whenever I have enough money to pay for the tickets to go to a concert, right? I, I like listening to a lecture at a lecture hall. Those are all good things. But that's not really what Sunday gatherings are about. We're here to gather as people participating in a community of faith, not as spectators of a show that's happening on stage. And there's a huge difference. And, and now that doesn't mean we're going to tear the stage out and, and get rid of the screen and, and fire the worship leader and the band and we're not going to sing songs anymore. We're not going to have a sermon. I mean, all of those things are, are good and important elements of what we do and they're helpful. But I started thinking about just the way our space is arranged and how even the chairs are arranged. And I thought, well, why not face each other rather than the stage? Why not remind ourselves simply in the way that we sit in this space, in the way that we organize it, why not remind ourselves that every single Sunday we're not spectators of a show up there. We're 
we're participants in a community of faith. Now, this isn't an original idea. This isn't totally unprecedented. Uh, The Quakers have been doing this for hundreds of years. If you've ever seen a Quaker church or a meeting house, uh, Benedictine monasteries are often arranged this way. I've visited a bunch of them, and oftentimes the monks sit in these two sections, or sometimes they'll sit in a circle, and they'll sing and pray back and forth to each other. And it's this way of being a community seeking God together. Or one of the most famous churches in the world, this is Westminster Abbey in London. When you go there to worship, you're going to sit in these rows. It's a long rectangular space, and you're going to sit in rows facing one another. So this isn't a totally new idea, but it's not common either. It's just a little bit different. It's a lot easier to sit in rows. It's the way most everything else in our life is arranged. It's more comfortable. It's more convenient. It's more familiar to just sit in rows and face the front and not realize how much just that seating is forming us into being spectators, but not participants. It's almost like the the digital connection we all have on our phones. It's helpful, it's useful, it's necessary in our world, and yet we don't often see the subtle ways. It might actually be working against the community that we all desire And so I was thinking about this, and I began to share this with um, our staff and our elders and um, some other people that help lead worship and volunteers and people who are thinking about those things and excited and want to talk about. And we had lots of conversations about it, and people made suggestions, and we brainstormed some things. But at the end of the day, almost everyone said, yeah, this is... This is cool. Let's try it. Let's let's move the chairs and, and do it for a few months and just see what it's like. And of course, we'll have to add some more screens because that's the easiest way to still be able to see the lyrics and to follow along in prayers and things like that. And and it's going to take some getting used to. And people are going to come in and say, I don't know where to sit now. My normal seat's gone, you know, and, and you're going to have to figure out new ways of doing things. And it's going to feel a little more intimate. It's It's a little harder to be hidden or remain anonymous. And And I still don't really know where to stand while I'm preaching. Emily and I were talking about this the last couple of weeks and saying, should we stand here or there or up there? And we just kind of said, we'll just figure it out as we go, right? But we think it's worth it to try this. We know it's not going to magically transform us into an Acts 2 community. It's going to take a whole lot more than just moving seats, right? But it's a start, And it's a reminder every time we walk in this space of what one of our core values is. It's community. It's a reminder that community is something we all need on an individual level, but also on a collective level. It's a reminder that to pursue community is going to require intentionality. It's going to require time. It's going to require focus, effort, vulnerability, going to be going against the grain a little bit. It's also a reminder that even when we're not perfect, even when we're a whole lot more like the Corinthian community than the Acts 2 community, we're still a community of faith. We're still the body of Christ that God has called us to be, not only to one another, but the body of Christ present 
in our world. And so as we move forward to trying to be who he has called us to be, I hope you'll be excited about joining us in that journey together. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for us as a community of faith that you might help us become what you've called and made us to be, a place where people could come and find your love and your grace and all that you are, a place where we might show that love and grace to one another. And God, I also pray... For those of us who are here today who examine our own lives and feel like something is missing, perhaps we feel lonely or isolated and feel like we need something more, deeper relationships. God, help us to know what we need to do to have the courage to pursue that or to receive that wherever you may offer it. pray this in your name. Amen.